Chapter 20. The Passion. Chapter 20. During tight games, we were religious in our unshakable faith in the boys. If we were, say, three goals down in the final moment to the last quarter, the tribal element took over at Moorabbin. There were games when it seemed that every single person in the outer and up in the grandstand was chanting, St Kilda! St Kilda! St Kilda! Right? St Kilda! <laughs> I love the, that. The I love that tribalness, that spontaneous cheering. Oh. I mean, it's not just um, unique to St Kilda. Uh, English football, you know, Indian cricket, it's a, a universal thing, but... Everyone, as one, rises to the occasion. Yeah, it's a and, and as thing. and as the the audible volume and the amount of people who are cottoning onto it and joining in grows, it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. It's it's like an an audio Mexican wave around the ground, and then suddenly it's not just a a, a wave of ha- arms being lifted up. It, it's everyone at once, and it, it's it. I don't know. The players have spoken of. I know about St Kilda players that back in the days, if they were anywhere near close to a rare victory, that sometimes we would actually have helped them across the line, like they were running on air. Well, when you get that chant going and uh, it reaches its crescendo and all St Kilda supporters are screaming St Kilda and then clapping, what happens when somebody breaks out with the ball? Oh, the roar oh, yeah. that you know you put extra me- you know you put extra meters on that kick. Yeah. As the roar, you can see yeah. the player lift up and yeah. just. Pump it yeah. deep into attack. Yeah, you're right, and if and if it's a subsequent mark, then oh, it's just the yeah. hysteria yeah, and explosion. That you have been part of that. Yes, yeah, and and the players say that we have, so it's not total tragic. You know, uh, what's the word? Imagination. Well, fantasy. Of ours. Yeah, it's not a fantasy. It it actually a has a palpable effect. Yeah, but my wife, my wife believes that that is possible if you're at home through the TV screen. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, it's energy. They know. They know we're watching. It's like, okay. Yeah. Enough's enough. Well, the umpires never listened to my suggestions and changed a decision. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe if I persist, it could pay off. (laughs) uh, An umpire's never gone down to... um, Births, deaths, and marriages to investigate his parentage after <laughs> me suggesting that he might be an illegitimate. <laughs> you know, imagine the umpire going, "Hang on, hang on, wait a sec, wait a sec." Uh, Matthew Hardy on his couch in Glen Waverley has suggested there's no way that was in the back. So uh, yeah. listen, he knows his stuff. Just I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to reverse it. The <laughs> and then coming over to the camera and go, Matt. You're right. <laughs> and I am a fucking asshole. Okay, I'm reversing that decision. And if you could lay off the gym, if you could lay off the gym beam now, I think you've, you know, reached your your peak point. Um, Matt, Matt, put your pants back on. We can all see you, mate. <laughs> right, they were never were on. Um, the back wall. Back Who's to the ever book. watched footy in pants? <laughs> Are you sitting there just like uh, Donald Duck with like absolute naked from the waistcoat down? Yeah, just covered in white feathers. I'm exactly <laughs> like Donald Duck. I don't want to know how they got there. So back to the book. The back wall of the corrugated aluminium grandstand at Moorabbin, St Kilda's home ground, would echo and reverberate with the deafening roar of everyone as one. Somehow I felt as if we each connected um, our hands hard enough together with as much force as we could manage and shouted as loud as our larynxes would allow. Is larynxes the plural for larynx? I just think it's larynx is the plural. It's oh, like the singular sheep. and the plural. Yeah, right. Like um, if we shouted as loud as our larynx would allow, then the players might just understand how much we believed in them. 
with the hair standing up on the back of my neck, I'd survey the surrounding crowd with a sense of almost unbearable excitement. The intensity of our support must have seeped into the players' souls on occasion. We were willing them to win, to find another gear. It was audience participation in its purest form. Some players visibly responded to our rousing racket. It's worth recalling that not long ago, loyalty remained a valid football emotion. St Kilda's number 33. <laughs> that is a great call. Loyalty remained a valid football emotion. I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah, or uh, virtue, rather. Uh, supporters of other sides were able to sense how much our team meant to us, impressed and intimidated in equal parts. Our furious fervour was such that they couldn't fail to weigh their own level of commitment against ours. The scales nearly always tipped in St Kilda supporters' favour. Opposing players often admitted as much during after-match interviews. If we weren't able to take pride in winning, then at least we could take pride in how much we wanted to. <laughs> By want, I mean want like a pregnant woman wants pickled onions at three in the morning. I mean want like a just-released long-term prisoner wants sex. <laughs> I mean want as in have to have. I don't mean decided want. I don't mean compulsive want. Instinctive want. Oh, no. Gut want. Want like a shark wants to attack the vibrations a swimmer's legs generate in its nerve endings. Want, crave, desire, need, demand. Want. Wow, what a halftime speech that is. <laughs> we did, when you were writing that, did you kind of like channel a coach? You no, know, I down didn't. low, bending into the face of a player. I'll try. I'll try want. it again. I'll you try know, it again. Like, like John Kennedy. You know, yeah. when he's like, "Don't think, do." Yeah, I'll try. Maybe I'll try. I'll try that again. I'll try that. Try that again. I want, <laughs> I mean, want like a pregnant woman wants pickled onions at three in the morning. Yes. I mean, want like a just-released long-term prisoner wants sex. I mean, want as in have to have. I don't mean decided want. I mean compulsive want, instinctive want, gut want. Want like a shark wants to attack the vibrations a swimmer's legs generate in its nerve endings. Want, crave, desire, need, demand. Want. Oh, yes. I'm ready to <laughs> run through a brick wall. Want. Want. <laughs> That's good shit. God, you've oh, seen something that wasn't even there initially. You've added to this like you're supposed to. Like but we also, wanted... standing in a workplace, you know, behind <laughs> behind a desk of buttons and a microphone here at Triple M, uh, just yelling want, it's like, why don't more bosses... Come out, you know, to the sales team. <laughs> All right, it might be a Wednesday morning to you, but how many people want to make their figures today? <laughs> how many people want to sell this product? Come on! KPIs! KPIs! <laughs> Key Performance Index. Want! <laughs> Some guy's just sipping his morning juice and just in tears. It's like, I... I don't think I can. I'm trying to scroll my <laughs> Facebook feed. <laughs> All I want to do is send me girlfriend a text message for her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you remember, you know, I love how, I remember the first time a text message for her birthday to me is too, um, too unintimate. Is that, is that the, um, there's a better word for that, but anyway, it's not it intimate It lacks enough. intimacy. It's, it, it's, yeah, it lacks intimacy, right? But I remember the first time, I can't remember who it was, and I wouldn't say if I did. But the first time somebody announced the death of their parent on Facebook, and I thought, "Oh, oh that no. is you're cheapening their life. That's no way to uh, announce." You know, and I also wonder whether now, because of um, the no, fact that everybody no does good. it, 
Once no, one they, person did it, why we all do would it. Would you? No way. Everyone does it now, especially during the pandemic. But I wonder whether that's reduced the numbers at funerals because you know funerals are difficult to attend, right? It's hard. It's not a great day out for anybody. But I wonder if you just like put a you press like or love on somebody's Facebook post about their dead parent, and you think I've done me bit. It's on mm. record. I don't have to actually get the suit on and take a day off work and and be all morose and grim for an afternoon eating. Um, I think bad scones think- in a church hall. I very much believe that you've got to bury your dead. And if a, a loved one of a close friend dies, then you, you're duty-bound to go to the funeral. You know, COVID withstanding where we can't go along. And I don't know whether watching it on Zoom is the same, but if you're able to go to the ceremony as you a show so. of respect and support. But one of the things along those lines that I cannot stomach is public grieving on Twitter. So somebody of note dies and then there's this race to own the grief oh yeah so you put up the first tweet about you know the death of robin williams and what he meant to you as a comedian and how deeply you feel that (laughs) it's like all right so there's a grief competition on here okay anyone that is publicly grieving on twitter sucks and they are vacuous because your grief isn't meant to be a competition to 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 say robin williams was great um, Valet or whatever, fine, but not how deeply you're affected. What is is, is Valet to me is also, and I know you Valet is farewell. Yeah, I know what in Latin or something. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretentious. Why can't you say R.I.P.? Well, rest in peace, because uh, it's a word that is used in our language. It's like saying, why would you say lingerie when you can say undies? It's just a better word. Because they, they can charge a shitload more for it if they call it lingerie. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, because undies, the bigger it is, the more you pay. Lingerie, the smaller it is, the more you pay. Wow. that's a, If you just assess that on the spot, that's amazing. No, it's, uh, it's a long-held observation. Okay. Anyway, so... Uh, also, you know Sean Locke, the English comedian, who knew I, I knew a little bit, who recently has departed this earth. Uh, I hesitated yeah. for three days before chipping in with my contribution to the competition of who is grieving him or who remembers him the best or the most. And, uh, and I, then I, I thought, thought your contra- contribution was uh, heartfelt and fascinating, and also very personal. So it wasn't about you know the depth of your emotion and grieving. You wanted to share something which was a beautiful obituary basically well thank you and it was uh received very well but i did hesitate for the same reason that you're saying because i thought oh, i'm just going to be another one of thousands of people who are trying to compete for how much he meant to them or how much they'll miss him well i guess what you you know as the buddha would say what is your motivation so if your motivation is to get likes then you're a disgrace if your motivation is to share something about the person with the world then that's the right motivation. Of course, of course, but one becomes the other because then when you share it for the right reasons but it does get shitloads of likes, you feel validated or, you know, good about yourself and, you know, that, then that's well, the, the dopamine. You're human, you're human too, but, you know, at that point your guilt should kick in and just go, oh, have I done this for the right reason? And if you have, you have, then you can live with yourself if you yeah. haven't. Well, also, uh, we were in lockdown and I was bored. So, uh, oh, back to the book. No, don't <laughs> undervalue. <laughs> I'm not. I'm I'm not. Not. You're, you're deliberately doing it because it's like, all right, it's got a little bit too emotional, so yes. I'm going to make yes. a joke about it. Yeah, cliched bloke trying to back I, away I just from... I think uh, if you could direct people in the wherever you wrote that, was that Facebook or Twitter or... Yeah, Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I got banned from Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, but from the most innocuous reason of all time. 
basically, I was just scrolling as I was falling asleep. Four hundred dick pics, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's oh, true. So no, hold on. No, what you happened was what happened was Twitter. I was yeah, I was what? falling asleep as one does and oh. scrolling right. Yeah. And someone said because it was when Melania Trump was starting to like slap Donald Trump's hand away that face. Yeah. Right. And uh, in public places. And someone had written, you know, as one of a million people were writing bad stuff about Donald Trump or good stuff about Donald Trump, whatever their perspective, someone wrote, why doesn't he just divorce, sorry, why doesn't she just divorce him? Okay. Mm. And then I wrote as one of many people commenting on this person's initial comment because he'd deport her the very next day. Yeah. And when I woke up in the morning, I thought that was semi-funny and kind of sort of, you know, maybe potentially true because there was a question about um, how she managed to get her parents uh, you know, into the country sh- shortly after she met Donald Trump. But it's all, also a joke about his, um, you know, knee-jerk reaction to everything. And or racism. As, as, I, as I read it, yeah. yeah it's yeah. more of a, a commentary on Trump's, um, you know, explosive personality. Right. Well, anyway, it was so explosive that I found out that around about that time, because he saved Twitter, Twitter were about to go the same way as uh, The Vine or... Uh, uh, MySpace, <laughs> MySpace, yeah, those right. sort of, yeah, those online entities that uh, just suddenly collapsed out of nowhere. Twitter were headed that way apparently until Trump embraced them as his cho- chosen form of communication. Right. So they were kind of beholden to him, and apparently he said to their people, "Get yourselves a team that just eliminate any naysayers," you know, which is you know ultimate uh, sort fascinating of fascist prop- propaganda tactic, which is if they speak ill of me, get rid of them, right? And so I think I just got swept up in a computer that was looking for comments that were, you know, negative about Donald Trump. It wasn't personal to me. But as a result, you got algorithmed. Wiped, wiped out for life, which is a relief because I'd, I'd got an, an absolute blessing. I'd gotten addicted. Exactly. I got addicted to it anyway. And at the moment. Well, you do get addicted to it, but it's such a negative thing. Very few people come off Twitter feeling positive about anything they've read or any contribution they've made. Back to the book. And where we left off was want, crave, desire, need, demand. Want? <laughs> Give me a W A N T. No, no, no. Coach is doing that. <laughs> that reminded me of the opening uh, of the Laverne and Shirley yeah uh, theme song. However, that goes. Now, can I give you something from a comedian's point of view about this? Because I used to sing along to that because it starts with Schlemiel, Schlamazo, Huff and Fuff and Fuff and Pepper or whatever it is. So, <laughs> uh, and then they start. Uh, we can make it together. The beautiful theme song, yeah. Laverne and Shirley. So I always wondered what a schlemiel and a schlamazo was. Right. And in comedy, uh, it's from the Jewish, of course, the schlemiel is the one that spills something on somebody and the schlamazo is the one that has it spilt on. Ah. So in comedy, the divide is, are you the clumsy one that yep. does the damage or are you the victim that the damage is done to? Oh, hence the and, hence the requirement in double acts for a straight man, of course. Yeah, and the well, the clumsy man and the straight man, or you know, the the naive bloke and the clever world wearied one. Yeah. But in stand up, of course, are you the one that messes up, or are you the victim that the mess up happens to? Because success isn't funny in stand up, so you've got to be one or the other. Yeah. Our stories, and sometimes our stories have both elements. For, but for me. I'm the schlemiel most of the time, yep. and I end up doing terrible things to a schlamazo. But I just love that 
the idea of Laverne and Shirley is the Schlemiel and the Schlemazo. And thank you, you know, to the the Jewish peoples for comedy because if it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be comedy. It makes me wish I was Jewish. Right. Well, you're listening to Saturday Afternoon Fever with Shamil Mooney and Shlomazo Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Who do they play for? <laughs> and if you could tuck your, if you could tuck your schlong in, we'll continue. <laughs> I'm schwitzing over here. Get on with it. Back to the book. <laughs> and you know, you're talking about different forms of uh, comedy, right? Well, um, or the origins of. I am, as you know, because I've employed you in that role, a comedy promoter at times, and uh, I was looking at trying to bring because there's a large, increasingly um, uh, nu- nu- numerous, numberous uh, Chinese population in Melbourne. I thought, oh, I'm going to get in on this action and bring out some um, Chinese comedians. But what I discovered, and look, hopefully I'm going to be proven wrong because I probably am, but my, my assessment is that Chinese comedy is based on double acts, okay? So if okay. you go to see a, you go to see a night of live comedy, mm-hmm. the structure is a series of double acts in, in which uh, one of the two people is in a position of power and the other person isn't. But by the end of the sketch, they have reversal roles. So it might oh. be a person, a person about to give a parking ticket, and the person whose car it is approaching, you know, to get into their car, and they're going to beg to differ about whether or not they've gone over the allotted time, right? Or it might be a. And so, I, I, but I love the idea of that. So the argument's happening, and then it changes. So by the end of it, the parking officer drives off. And the driver is left with the the book, yeah, that's right. The ticket, yeah, right. It's brilliant. It's a reversal of power. Okay, so the little guy always wins. But apparently, you can see a whole night of two people doing a teacher and a student, or you know, a uh, anyone in a position of power versus anyone anyone who isn't, and it's the same thing repeatedly. But that's what they want from their comedy, right? And it's just a different ways in which you can achieve that same yeah solution. At a different point in the power structure, and you know, the more seamless it is, and the more you know, crafted. Yeah, it sounds. I, that, I love that idea, well, but also and changing it back. You know, going teach a student, then they become their original roles, and then change back one more time. I'm sure it becomes very complex. Yeah, and there's a million different ways to do the same thing if you're so smart ha- enough. How did you discover that? Where was that? Just by written? googling and speaking to. Chinese people I know, and then deliberately contacting Chinese entertainment promoters and performers, and it was like, no, we don't do solo stand-up, not yet. I mean, there's it's starting to surface, but traditionally, yeah. going back centuries, it's the power versus the the person without power um, in a double-act form. So uh, that's what kind of a pluralist you are, though, Hardy. You know, well, I don't you, know what a pl- I literally don't know what a pr- I know what a plural is, but not a pluralist. Yeah, so a pluralist is basically someone who is multifaceted, or or their brain is multifaceted. So they look around and see a whole lot of options in the world. So you see Melbourne with an increasing Chinese population, and you think, well, I would like them as an audience. So I'm going to find out about their comedy, whereas I'm just a bit more linear. I'm not looking around going, wow, I, I am a bit of a pluralist. I'm willing to try things, but I'm not thinking on that level of like, oh, that's an audience that I haven't got yet. Right. If you're making so much money, you don't have to. Shut up. Because you're so talented in one particular area. That's true. Hey, but as it turned out, the Chinese community in Melbourne already had that whole situation sewn up and there was no room for a guy from Glen Waverley to try and muscle his way in and that's how it should be, I suppose. No, I reckon that... Uh have a crack at whatever you want to. I did. You know? but I didn't get anywhere, so I gave up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and, I'm, also, uh, I'm also a quitter. 
<laughs> You're good for you. Yeah, thanks. Keep quitting, man. Hey, you know we were talking about um, <laughs> we were talking about the, uh, the origins or the ways in which comedy can be done the same way but differently, right? So it's like a hundred different male comics have talked about how sad they are that they broke up with their girlfriend or they got divorced, right? Yeah, and well, I remember. I'm, I mean, these. There's um, what do they call it? Uh, not stereotypical, um, atypical. Yes. Subject matter, yeah. which is you know, heartbreak, love, heartbreak, sex. Yeah. Work. Yeah, and if you, you know, were to, if you were to cut all those topics out of your repertoire, you'd have nothing to talk about, right? Or certainly nothing that no. everyone can easily relate to from you know whatever socioeconomic background or ethnic origin, etc. Anyhow, you got to relate to your audience in a way because you know the old thing is like, oh, it's funny because it's true. Yes. Unless you're you know, distinctly original and you're going off on surrealist know, tangents. Surrealist tangents like, you know, Ross Noblewood, um and Noel Fielding, Mighty Boosh. Yep. And all that stuff. you know, if no, there's no corduroy ferrets in the audience, people are just laughing yes. about the possibility of that. Corduroy ferret who burps glitter. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, we might have a future in this new form. Hey, a bloody no- corduroy ferret! You know, <laughs> just imagine him coming, going into a, a hole, chasing a rabbit made out of rainbows and shadows, and he chases him out and burps <laughs> glitter at him, and the, the the rabbit's like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> I'm assuming you know and love Ross Noble because I do, and this is our oh, tribute. Yeah, this do. is our homage to him. We're not well, taking my, the piss. My homage to him is that I have no possible way of doing what he does. Exactly. Because he's a very unique mind, a very unique thinker, and so he goes out. And so, yeah, my comedy, you like to think of yourself as original, but I'm sure I can be compared to other comedians, whereas Ross Noble's a one-off. Well, when I, when I started... Bloody corduroy ferret <laughs> eating <laughs> yoghurt... <laughs> Is that an actual example or oh, just no. a generic? Uh, um, it's good, a corduroy ferret. I want to hear uh, more. I'm, I'm sorry, there's a, a velvet stoat or something. <laughs> hey, when I started doing stand up in London, and I was going quite well, luckily, quite early, but I remember telling myself, I'm not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, which is pretty easy because I'd never mm. had a girlfriend. But I thought that if I did have a girlfriend, I wouldn't be talking about that because everyone talks about it. And then I saw, let's just for a moment, ignore where he's at now in life. But then I saw at the Royal Albert Hall with my mum and dad who came over to visit and were big fans of Bill Cosby. I saw him perform live. He did a two-hour show. It was Never just, heard of him. Tell me was, about him. It was beyond belief. <laughs> it was beyond belief. Like Bill, Bill Cosby, you say, I've got no idea who he is. <laughs> but the only the, – like there was, there was old people, young people, white people, black people, you know, men, women – uh, I imagine straight people, uh, you know, homosexual people, whatever. The whole lot of us, the whole lot of it. I remember at one point laughing so hard, I thought, like, I was only breathing in and I thought, I'm going to die. Right. I need to, I need, sorry, I was only breathing out, right? I thought, I need to inhale because there's been too much exhale, right? And I was looking around at other people. There was just choking. The laughter had turned into mass choking, right? And I was trying to get my <laughs> breath back and my dad was getting on a bit and I thought, you're going to die, no. right? No, but we're all going to die, right? And I was trying to get my breath back, and I fully intended when and if I did to shout out, stop! <laughs> Fucking re- give us a break! Stop being so funny. Just stop it. It's too wow. much. It is too much. Anyhow, all he talked about was him and his wife before they got married. That was the first hour. Then yep. he repeated all the same topics in the second hour from a perspective of having been married for a long time now. And so you didn't realize until about you didn't realize till about halfway through the second hour that he was going through the same topics in the same order, but from a different viewpoint. And if you had seen either hour separately, that would have been just as amazing. But together, you know, after a little break, eventually he did stop and gave us a twenty-minute break in the middle. But 
It's just it's just beyond belief. But anyway, I then saw Jerry Seinfeld at the O2 Arena in London around about 2010. And uh, he, I quickly realised, was talking, and I think deliberately, about what comics call hack topics, right? So right. topics that have been overdone by everyone. and Drunkenness, sex, boyfriend, yeah, girlfriend. Mobile phones, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, you know. Driving. Yeah, all this stuff, right? Air, uh, airplane food. All of that, yeah. right? But he did those things that everyone probably, you know, inherently thought had been done to death 30 years ago better than anyone's ever done them before. And I thought to myself, you have deliberately set yourself yeah. a challenge, set yourself a goal, right, to prove that no topic has been done until Jerry Seinfeld's done it. And also to potentially embarrass every other comic that's not Jerry Seinfeld uh, when they it's compare a power move. when they compare their comedy on those topics to what he's just done, uh, you know, and and not touching upon anything that had been done on those topics before. It was incredible. Limo echoes your sentiments completely. He said, "I went along to see Seinfeld, uh, and it was you know round about that time." He said, "You think that you've done those topics until you see Seinfeld's done them, and then." It's kind of a bit embarrassing. I don't know how any comic ever performs ever again after they see Seinfeld. And Seinfeld's favourite comic of all time is <clears throat> Bill Cosby. And so you see the guys of that level, and there's Billy Connolly among them as well, but you see guys of that level and you think, if you're a comic and you see them perform, why do you ever perform ever again? Aside from the fact it's yeah. the only way to earn money and it's too late now. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree with that idea that there's the best of the best and then there's the rest. It's not true, I'm sure. Well, they haven't seen you yet. Yeah. Yeah. Take that. Back Seinfeld to the book. And Cosby. Back to the book. Loyal supporters gain a lot more than Premiership Cups, whether their side succeeds or fails. Watching Tony Lockett over his many years with St Kilda, he kicked way more goals with St Kilda than he ever did with the Swans, by the way. For those listeners who might have I think forgotten it's that. It's tragic fact. that he ever went to the Swans. It yeah. really just it really eats at me. But anyway. Eats at you. Watching Tony Lockett over the many years he played for the Saints, his senior debut against Melbourne at the MCG when he scored a goal with his first kick, his starring performances for the Victorian state side, the first time he topped the ton, gave Simon and me an almost parental pleasure. We watched St Kilda slowly but surely improve to the point where at last, after 12 long years, one of our dreams came true, Lawrence. A finals appearance. In the 90s. Yeah. Was it St Kilda versus Collingwood? Do you know what? I can't even remember who the other team was. I just remember being in the VFL park, car park, you, for you, the whole night. You what? You can't remember who you no. played in a final. No, I'm embarrassed to I say that. I can name every one of our finals and probably the result. You're a, I'm just putting the headphones down. Whoever's in charge, just switch this shit off. I did. I'm going. I did I'm feel done. my. I felt my stomach sink. I felt my soul exit my... <laughs> oh, mate. <sighs> You didn't barrack for St Kilda. Imagine if I've just fabricated this whole angle. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I could ever get any attention. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you.